Welcome to the discussion, Digital Modernization in DOD's Fourth Estate, sponsored by Lidos. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, Frank Konechny, the Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force, Jamie Markhole, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency, Don Means is the Defense Enclave Services Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Danielle Metz is Principal Director for the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department. And Doug Jones is the Chief Technology Officer of the Defense Group at Lidos. It's good to have you all here. And our subject today is the consolidation of IT in the Fourth Estate, a big and important and somewhat difficult initiative that the Defense Department has undertaken. And so to get a kind of an overview of what it is that DOD hopes to accomplish with this, why don't we start with you, Danielle, from the DOD standpoint, and what's what's going on here? Thanks, Tom. Uh, so we prefer to, instead of calling it consolidation, call it optimization. And the goal is to address the challenges that have been present for a very long time regarding uh, tens of thousands of applications that are scattered amongst 2,500 data centers, uh, 40 multiple independently owned operated networks, um, silos of excellence, there's lack of interoperability, um, cyber hygiene is awash in terms of it being a patchwork. Um, and so in order to be able to address these challenges, the focus for IT reform is really uh, three lines of effort. The first is network and service optimization. The second is uh, cloud and data center optimization. And both of those lines of effort are really focused on our DAFAs, the defense agency field activities. Um, we group them into phases, so there's three phases. Uh, the first phase has 14 organizations. The second phase is those DAFAs that receive their services from the joint service provider. And then the third phase is our EDU community. The last line of effort is enterprise collaboration IT tools. And this is really beyond the DAFAs. So this is covering from an enterprise approach, uh, collaboration office suite productivity. So what I would like to focus on are the first two, because we've made some incredible headway um, over the past year and a half. And FY20 is the year of execution. Uh, so the way that we've done this is the first 14 organizations, um, two of which are a part of the panel today, so it'd be really good to hear their viewpoint. But we worked really hard in terms of creating a collaborative environment in order for everyone to have a stake and see how we would be defining and uh, going about optimization for the networks. So right now there's 30 independent networks. Um, and what we're trying to do is consolidate, optimize into two. So there'll be one classified and one unclassified. Uh, also the optimization of about 35 service desks to one. And the idea is, is that DISA would be the single service provider for common use IT. And we were very prescriptive in terms of being able to delineate between common use IT and mission IT. And the idea is with common use IT, from the desktop to the enterprise, DISA would be responsible for that. And so therefore there is contracting, acquisition, lifecycle management, the operations, and a consolidation of workforce so that those current IT professionals that provide the service desk help support for those in for those individual 13 organizations will now be consolidated for DISA. And so we are really changing the paradigm in terms of what we mean by IT. And it's really not driven by cost efficiency as it is for operational effectiveness. And if we're able to do this over the past, starting at FY20 to go through 25, this is transformational in of itself, but this could be a blueprint for the rest of the department to follow suit. Uh, we've always talked about it. It's been very theoretical and philosophical, but now we're actually doing it. And I'm incredibly uh, thrilled to be able to be a part of this. Okay, and why don't we turn to Frank here, uh, speaking from one of the armed services standpoints that would presumably benefit. Just briefly, what do you think uh, you're hoping to get out of this as you watch well, your fellow service very, agencies do this? We're actually, Tom, we're actually very dependent upon these agencies. And I'll, I'll give you a case in point that we're going through right now. 
It's the Air Force audit. FM audit and everything else to the real property with real bills associating real property with the purchase requisitions and everything else and what is real property in terms of IT centers as well as weapons as well as ammo as well as everything else and we are looking back and forth and saying well we need data we need data desperately to coordinate this and make sure that the audit is successful and we've been doing this now for three years now and so we would like to be able to collaborate much better with all the agencies as well as have them in a more of an environment where it's cloud-based that we can actually get to the systems and the data that we actually need. So we are really dependent upon them right now and our audit depends upon it getting done. So we are we are very happy, let's put it that way, <laughs> that the fourth estate is actually getting to that point because we are really dependent and if we can't get that done, uh, you know, we're going to fail our audit. All right. And uh, audit brings to mind Jamie Markle, the chief information officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency. Uh, Jamie, tell us what you think some of the risks and challenges are for the agency as you become part of this larger whole from an IT standpoint. Okay. The, um, the largest uh, concern that we have at the agency level is the, um, the potential loss of individual flexibility. And, and what I mean by that is, first of all, we're a big fan of the fourth estate nation. Um, I think it's going to be a great thing at end state because it will allow us that remain at the agency to focus on our mission IT at the exclusion of the common use IT. But the concern we have is, um, is maybe a prioritization thing. Right now, for instance, at DCAA, we, uh, we run our own network soup to nuts. And so when our agency leadership has a, a change in priorities, we can be pretty nimble and responsive and uh, focus our IT resources to adapt to whatever that priority change is. Once we um, transition to being basically a customer of the fourth estate uh, service provider, then we are one of many customers. And I suspect that that response time could be slowed down. Um, and so that's, that's what we're concerned about is, being able to, to still get our needs met, especially in the event of like a service outage or some type of problem. So how the uh, fourth estate puts in, in, uh, in place a governance structure that allows for rapid escalation of agency priorities, uh, that'll be very important um, for us to, uh, for this to be a success from our viewpoint. Got it. And uh, Don Means at uh, DISA, tell us what you, your concerns are DISA has, you know, kind of a wide-ranging role in providing services now to DOD. So Jamie touched on one of our primary concerns. You know, we want to make sure that we're enabling all these missions. Um, you know, the commodity IT and um, being the single service provider for commodity IT, I, I think we can do it's something that's in DISA's wheelhouse and something I'm uh, very happy to be part of. Um, I think in a lot of ways, um, we will be able to be more proactive and preventative uh, to kind of alleviate some of Jamie's concerns. But the, the challenge here is that every single uh, activity and uh, agency has a unique mission. And we'll have to work very closely with the CIOs and the directors of each one of these agencies to make sure that we are uh, considering every facet of the job that they're trying to do and how we can enable their mission IT uh, through the commodity IT infrastructure. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, being a single service provider may streamline some of the response times and processes, uh, as well as, um, you know, be more proactive and preventative. Got it. So DISA would be kind of the uh, catch point for all of this when this consolidation takes place down the road? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we will be responsible for end-to-end uh, -end operation. It's a little different for DISA. We, uh, um, in most cases, have provided uh, infrastructure, uh, not all the way out to the endpoint, uh, outside of uh, the agency. So this will be an interesting uh, facet, um, but certainly doable. Um, and you know, we'll be able to provide a new infrastructure that will provide uh, more, uh, a more dis discoverable um, and uh, uh, network that we'll be able to command and control better, provide better cybersecurity and better responsiveness. And so uh, it, it'll be fun, but the challenges are there certainly to enable every mission. And Pat, at the Defense Health Agency, you've got a couple of projects. You've got this uh, overlaid with the health records, which is a long-term 
you know, a fairly heavy lift project also where you're, there's been some progress in the last couple of years. Tell us what you see as the challenges here and maybe some of the risks. I think the biggest risk is to not do it, right? I mean, um, when the Secretary of Defense has an IT problem and he turns to the Army, he knows who to give the mission to to fix, right? The G6 of the Army. Same with the Navy. When you come to the Fourth Estate, there's a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of phone calls you got to make, right? And so that's the biggest risk. We've got we've to kind of align um, better. And our fearless leader is, is Danielle Metz and Don. And, you know, we're attached at the hip on this. You know, uh, it's a time phase thing. We work out the problems together. And, um, you know, I'm towards the end of, of the time phasing because I'm trying to, I'm in the middle of transitioning treatment facilities from the services onto my network. Um, but wherever we can take advantage of, of uh, strategic sourcing and contracts and things like that, we're doing it. Yeah, you're sort of where a lot of things are consolidating, and then you in turn have to consolidate your infrastructure. So that's a challenge. It's good to be patent, I guess, these days. And <laughs> I'm not Doug, bored. <laughs> and Doug Jones at Lidos often, you know, like the media, the large vendors sometimes have the best view across agencies and maybe even more knowledge than they have of one another. What does it look like from your standpoint at this point? What from Lidos standpoint uh, do you see as the uh, top risks here? I think there's two. One is is really a little bit of what Jamie talked about is how do you make sure you have a, a service offering that meets the needs across where some of those needs are slightly different. So how do you find the center of that Venn diagram and give some flexibility around the edges to support those mission pieces and get that sort of tailoring? I think the other is going to be the migration approach because you know we're, we're all starting different spots and how we do this successfully to make sure we're achieving those outcomes uh, and keeping that momentum going and the benefits we're going to get out of this while you know maintaining that balance to make sure the mission is being supported especially in this ever-changing dynamic world we live in today okay and uh, i wanted to ask you danielle to follow up on something you said that 2020 is the year of implementation and yet it's a five-year effort and so what are your immediate goals because we're well into fiscal 2020 difficult as that has become for a lot of reasons outside of anybody's control. Right. So for the, uh, the fourth estate network optimization effort, DTIC is our first uh, customer that this is working with. Uh, before uh, the pandemic, the idea was that we would start doing their migrations for their network and their uh, civilian transfer uh, starting now and that we would be an FOC for DTIC in August. Um, due to the fact that we are at um, kind of at a maximum telework, a lot of the work that we would have to do is in person. Uh, that's introduced a lot of schedule delay. Um, but we are still working with DTIC. We're doing a virtual town hall with their workforce uh, next Thursday. And even though that the schedule is slipping from the network uh, migration piece, um, we feel confident that we'll be able to start um, later in the summer. It, we just won't hit the marks that we were hoping to hit before. So really DTIC and DIS are the first ones to go. Um, FY21, we had three or four more organizations that would be rolling. Um, so as Pat said, this is a very phased approach. There's 13 organizations. We're staggering them out up through uh, FY25 for the first 14 organizations. And I was going to say this sounds a little bit similar to the effort a number of years ago to overhaul the Pentagon from an IT standpoint when they, and actually from a physical standpoint also, also they went wedge by wedge. Yes. In that sense, you're going wedge by wedge over a five-year period. That's right. A lot of it is, is based on what Doug was saying earlier is that you have to have a methodical approach to this. Um, I wish I had a magic wand so I could just wave it and it'd be done. But we have to be respectful of the fact that, as everyone has mentioned, there's specific mission needs and we need to make sure that we're doing no harm to that as we gracefully transition to, um, to this new network. And of course, Don, uh, DISA has a lot of experience in transitioning from networks to networks, generations to generations. Uh, sound like a doable piece to you? And you think the schedule over the five years is, uh, I mean, what will it take to make sure that given the, the delay, again, out of anyone's control that's going on now, this can be righted so that you're going to get those full five years and get it done? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, we'll be able to get this done. Um, you know, we, uh, as Danielle mentioned, you know, we are 
uh, moving forward with the personnel transfer, we're doing as much of the infrastructure setup as as we can. Um, you know, we are limited. Uh, you know, freedom of movement isn't what it was uh, several months ago with uh, some things like site surveys. But on the back end, there's still a lot of work that we can do and make progress. I think, uh, you know, it's not going to be a problem to continue to do the work. And since this is kind of one of the first uh, uh, guinea pigs, uh, we're we're more than happy to uh, do the work here to be able to set up and enable the, the rest of the transition. And just a quick follow up: uh, What do you do to convince the agencies as part of, of that are part of this that DISA is not simply going to make everyone look like DISA, but that they'll have a say and get that kind of flexibility they need? Well, again, I, I think it requires a close partnership with the agencies and, you know, building trust with them as we work through them. Um, you know, it's uh, through an abundance of communication uh, back and forth and, and to make sure that we're hand in glove with each agency because every single one of them, they, they are unique. Um, you know, where Pat may be trying to enable a medical community with things like, you know, everything from baby monitors to COVID first responders, it's not less important than what uh, Jamie's doing to uh, being able to audit and um, uh, uh, administer contracts. Uh, and so it just requires a close partnership to, to understand, you know, in the end game and at the end point, what do we need to make sure that we need to do uh, to make sure that we're enabling their work? Because uh, it's important to everybody, as Frank mentioned. All right, good place to take a break on. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. Frank Konechny is the Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force. Jamie Markhole is the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency. Don Means is the Defense Enclave Services Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Danielle Metz, Principal Director for the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department, and Doug Jones, Chief Technology Officer at the Defense Group at Lighthouse. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is Digital Modernization in DOD's Fourth Estate, sponsored by Lighthouse, here on Federal News Network. From idea to battlefield, innovation is at the heart of mission success. At Lidos, we're helping customers accelerate readiness, resilience, and strategic modernization. Lidos is number one on the Washington Technology Top 100, bringing unrivaled talent to bear through our software factories and providing proven autonomy capabilities, agile and sec DevOps, and advanced AI ML that allows you to see the full picture faster. At Lidos, we're developing practical answers for a complicated world. Visit leidos.com slash defense to learn how. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Digital Modernization in DOD's Fourth Estate, sponsored by Lidos here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, Frank Konechny, Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force, Jamie Markle is Chief Information Officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency, Don Means, the Defense Enclave Services Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency, Danielle Metz, Principal Director for the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department, and Doug Jones, Chief Technology Officer for the Defense Group at Lighthouse. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And let's get into some of the ways and means by which agencies in the Fourth Estate will actually go about this. And since Danielle earlier said networks, uh, is the first place, the first priority of this consolidation and optimization. Pat, you are at the Defense Health Agency already into network overhauling, network modernization. Tell us approaches you're taking and also emphasize this new need for telework because I think a lot of people believe that even when the crisis is over, more people will be teleworking than perhaps were before. And so what are some of the VPN and other access issues that might come up as we consolidate and optimize. Yeah, so we are in the process of collapsing four separate medical networks into one. And the, the new one um, is called the, the Medical Community of Interest, the MedCoy. And that's, that's made a huge difference for us. And, you know, that's kind of a microcosm again of what the 4ENO is going to do. And uh, now, for example, in this crisis, when people are trying to come in through gateways externally, um, it's pretty seamless because there's enterprise gateways that we run. 
the places in my organization that haven't migrated yet still have the old VPNs in the basements of their buildings, and they're the ones that are having problems, right? So sometimes they can get in, sometimes they can't. They, they don't use enterprise shared drives to access their data. And so I just, I see just a lot of goodness coming from this as we continue down the road. And Don, what are some of the technological means you see? I mean, a lot of agencies are talking software-defined networks, which seems to offer a possibility of getting a more uniform look to networks because uh, you can just make an image and deploy it as many times as needed. Yeah, so absolutely. I think one of the ways that we're going to be able to enable something like software-defined networks is uh, you know, taking a, a greenfield approach to this so that we're able to um, you know, actually leverage that type of technology to be more responsive and, again, proactive. And uh, you know, much, much to what Pat has said with uh, enabling MedCoy you know, that, that runs over this infrastructure, as we build this out, um, you know, there, there are a huge number of benefits to having a uniform, standardized, discoverable, defendable, network, right? So that's what we're trying to build from the inside out. Danielle, what is your view of how the learnings of the current situation will imbue this effort, which started before this and will continue after it? But are there some things that are takeaways from the current situation that will inform this optimization going forward? So I think the, the network and the transport layer is definitely foundational for us to be able to do more of the interesting uh, items in terms of collaboration um, and office week productivity. Uh, so the pandemic has shown that we needed to be able to be on a common platform to be able to collaborate uh, amongst ourselves and the different organizations and DOD components. And in order to be able to do that as quickly as we have, uh, we've been able to provision 3 million accounts in less than three weeks. And that's something that Microsoft has never have been able to do with any federal or private um, enterprise before. Um, but we were successful in doing that because of the fact that we did it in a very flat manner. Um, so it's one tenant. So it's your email at cvr.mil. Um, and so normally when you're with the department, everyone wants to maintain their uniqueness and that creates and drives some challenges accessing technology um, more, more difficult. Uh, so I think that shows that there's some uh, trade space to be able to be able to evaluate. Do we really need to have as many tendencies or uniqueness? Uh, can we really take a more common use approach to the to the commercial um, technology that's available? Sure, Jamie. Some thoughts for units that is part of the fourth estate, but has very unique needs. Uh, sure. So. Actually, we at DCA were pretty well positioned uh, for this telework initiative, uh, even pre, even before the pre-COVID telework edicts. And so, what we do is we we issue every employee a laptop. We our our phone is voice over IP, so you can actually make phone calls through your laptop. And um, even pre-COVID, twenty to thirty percent of the DCA workforce teleworks on a daily basis. So we felt pretty good about the, uh, the work at home issues, but what we found in terms of the challenges, it's just that the network congestion piece that the other host, the, the other guests have been alluding to. Um, our, our internal circuits just aren't sized for the hundred percent telework um, standard that we're currently under. And so we have to go back and look at where we have those choke points internally, try to put resources against that to improve bandwidth improve circuit capacity. Um, and then like I alluded to in my earlier comment, some of this is beyond the agency level. It's, it's the national infrastructure. And as you know, for the transition of ones and zeros, it's the weakest link. And so even if we're robust internally, if we run into choke points elsewhere, the customer's gonna have a less than optimal experience. And Frank, I'd like to get your views on, you know, how industry can help because Air Force is one of those agencies that is big, and also dependent on industrial partners. Uh, how can that help in an effort that is so deep into the infrastructure like this? I mean, we, we had the same uh, issues like everybody else did with uh, VPN, not, not having enough VPNs and network saturation as well. And we're kind of looking at it from a slightly more aggressive viewpoint now of how can we actually do 
zero trust capabilities within the, the new normal that we're trying to get to. So instead of you know increasing capacity all over the place and maintaining it, we're looking at you now software-defined perimeters and other things as well as how we can actually go forward with you know this new normal that we have to do and how we can make it more secure across all of the Air Force. And we have those issues because we have bases all over the world. And you know it's like we have different issues in Europe and Asia than we do here in the CONUS. And we still had the virus everywhere. So we had to contend with you know, connectivity at Europe, which was an issue by itself. We had connectivity in PAC, which is another issue by itself, and how we would actually would go forward with everything that we're doing right now. So, you know, everybody's going down the same path as what is the new normal going to be? What is, you know, what our capacity should be? And then what mobility do we expect of our, our airmen right now? And what do we expect in the future? Doug, what are the big pain points that, that are being expressed to you as a, on, the ind- on the industry side? I think, you know, a lot of the speakers and Frank hit it is, is, you know, it is that scalability and that resiliency and then balancing that with security, right? So we still, especially given the missions we're, we're talking about are absolutely critical and a heavy target, right, uh, of our adversaries that, that we have to be really careful and mindful of that security and finding that balance. And I think that's where, as we, as, as Don talked about trying to go greenfield and modernize some of these pieces and bring in SDN starting to accelerate some of those zero trust concepts and understanding how do we segment out the traffic and what goes through what policy enforcement points or security points versus what doesn't based on the nature of traffic. Uh, it doesn't make sense to do a bunch of packet capture for video streaming uh, because you're not going to really get as much into it or things that are default encrypted that you can't un- decrypt. So how do we do a better job of understanding that and balancing those choke points so that we know where our choke points are and we get some flexibility about how to manage those. So I think those are a lot of the critical concepts that sort of bring together software-defined networking, the resiliency, and zero trust in your security concepts. I think those are all going to hit together as we look at doing this. And I think, you know, what Don and Danielle talked about, about the foundation that we're laying, you know, that this is putting together, I think is absolutely critical to enable us to be successful given this new moment. And when you discuss those concepts, there seems to even be a bigger picture implied here. And that is all of those functions and control of the cybersecurity and the network allocations and the bandwidth allocations that have to happen can all be abstracted in some kind of a central system so that the agencies doing the mission maybe can have greater focus, let's say less worry about nuts and bolts, if you will, and more focus, more bandwidth of the mind available to their missions. Danielle, is that something that is underlying a lot of this? Absolutely. And I think it's also driven in the fact that a lot of the DAFAs have a technical burden on their networks. And so therefore, we've not been able to modernize and do all of what has been described with software defined network or zero trust, because that requires to have a robust infrastructure to which they didn't have the uh, investments, the capital investments needed. And so I think that's the fallacy with reform activities writ large is that you think that you're going to do something to save money, but in order to have a return on investment, you have to have an investment. And that's the, the very, uh, calculated strategy that the CIO has done and worked with the mission partners of those DAFAs as, as well as with DISA um, to be able to create the funding strategy to get the capital investment so that we could do all the wonderful things that the panelists have described. Um, the network is just one piece of it. The services, the services that ride atop the, the network, uh, the collaboration capabilities, uh, the ability to do DevSecOps in the cloud. Um, we haven't even gotten there yet, um, but that's, those are what's really driving us to do that. So we're starting from square one, and then we have a, a way to be able to build up to get to all the cool things you want to do with technology. We're just not there yet, but we have a plan to get there. Yeah, Pat, that strikes me as analogous to what is going on with the health record systems. It's, it will eventually replace something that has had its own instance in each medical center, but they weren't all that well interconnected under the old system, the VISTA system. What you're looking at is a single system that is across the entire health enterprise, including Veterans Affairs and the Coast Guard, for that matter. And it, it strikes me that that's analogous to what's happening in some of these other areas where you have rather you know, a common instance that can be spun up as needed using clouds and so forth but everyone is on the same sheet of music. Yeah, that's right. And um, the order that you do it makes a difference. And so the software that we're using 
like you said, it's distributed. So every hospital, every large hospital has a bunch of servers in their basement and they're all their own little island of the truth. And when a person goes to retire, we have to pull in the information from all those instances. Well, what our new electronic health record is, is a centralized. There's only one on the planet in one data center where everybody comes into it the same, at the same time. And the enabler for that is a network. Right? When it's in your basement, you're on the LAN. When it's centralized, you're going through the wide area network on the internet to get to it. And so those, those circuits have to be fast. And so that's what we're doing. We're modernizing the network to enable the EHR and a whole bunch of other things. Don, that sounds like uh, that falls into your bailiwick. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the fun stuff, right? That, that's what we do well at DISA. Certainly, we've, uh, uh, you know, made, cut our teeth on delivering infrastructure. Um, and quite frankly, uh, you know, this COVID crisis has also you know, helped us develop that public-private uh, partnership to be able to um, enable uh, a robust infrastructure to be able to um, do things like cloud environments or data centers uh, where, you know, we don't have one-offs in our basement. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward to the challenge, and uh, I think we're, we're able to do it. Doug, I wanted to ask you about the, because this has come up several times, the cyber aspects of this. And maybe we'll, uh, we're getting close to the break, but we'll ask you and then maybe ask Danielle afterwards. But the Defense Department has several cyber hygiene initiatives going on now. None of them get exactly fantastic uh, marks from the auditors overlooking it, and yet it's so important because especially as people operate on common systems, you probably need a common approach to cyber and cyber hygiene. Thoughts on how that can be baked into this optimization? Yeah, I think Danielle hit it, which is important, was a lot of the agencies haven't had the capital investment to do the modernization. And part of the cyber hygiene goes part and parcel with the modernization. As you have older legacy infrastructure, it's harder to keep that hygiene up with them. And some of them are even out of support, right? So the idea of pulling this together and then also centralizing that ability to be able to, like you said earlier, almost like the SDM, push out those images so people can rapidly adopt it and we can roll them out and get that consistency. The power of this, this optimization, as Daniel brought up, is the ability to accelerate that cyber hygiene initiative and improve that sort of like raise the floor for all of us from a cyber perspective. It also makes it easier to connect into our defensive cyber operations places. So we can centralize, get a view of that data across holistically and see where adversaries are coming at it from multiple angles, trying to attack us. And we may not know because everyone's looking at their individual silo. Now we're gonna do a better job about looking across that and be able to connect those dots. So we're raising the floor as well as in enhancing our visibility, our ability to effectively monitor those networks and look for where those adversaries are coming at us. Danielle, it sounds as if it's not just a cyber hygiene itself, but actual cybersecurity. Absolutely. And I think the just to add to what Doug was stating is the fact that now we have this as a single service provider for common use IT. So Cyber Command Joint Force Headquarters Doden can look to DISA to be responsible for the DAFAs for the DOD net. Um, and not have to hunt and figure out who's responsible for what on the multitude of networks that currently exist today. And so that goes hat in hand with the ability to ensure that we have better cyber hygiene, just knowing what is on the network, um, who's responsible for what's on the network, and then reporting it accordingly to uh, Joint Force Headquarters, DOTA, and Cyber Command. Okay, that's a good place to stop and take a break. My guests today are Danielle Metz. She's Principal Director for the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department. Doug Jones is the Chief Technology Officer for the Defense Group at Lidos. Pat Flanders is Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. Frank Konechny, Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force. Jamie Markhol, Chief Information Officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency, and Don Means, the Defense Enclave Services Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Digital Modernization in DOD's Fourth Estate, sponsored by Lidos here on Federal News Network.
From idea to battlefield, innovation is at the heart of mission success. At Lidos, we're helping customers accelerate readiness, resilience, and strategic modernization. Lidos is number one on the Washington Technology Top 100, bringing unrivaled talent to bear through our software factories and providing proven autonomy capabilities, agile and sec DevOps, and advanced AI ML that allows you to see the full picture faster. At Lidos, we're developing practical answers for a complicated world. Visit leidos.com slash defense to learn how. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Digital Modernization and DOD's Fourth Estate, sponsored by Lidos here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Doug Jones, the Chief Technology Officer of the Defense Group at Lidos, Danielle Metz, Principal Director for the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department. Don Means is the Defense on Clave Services Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency, Jamie Markole, Chief Information Officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency, Frank Konechny, Chief Technology Officer of the Air Force, and Pat Flanders, Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. And in this gigantic five-year effort to consolidate and optimize and improve the, and lower the cost of, by the way, of the infrastructure supporting the fourth estate, it seems to me that one of the biggest issues is getting it done through the people that you have. And so there's a lot of human capital, cultural changes, maybe a cliche, but I think it's a real phenomenon. So Don, why don't we start with you? What are the human capital, organizational, and programmatic issues and challenges that you see to making sure this goes and moves apace? Yes, I actually think that, uh, you know, programmatically and technically um, that, you know, there, there may be some small challenges that we'll be able to overcome. Uh, but I think on the human capital side, you know, that is actually the greatest asset. We can't do any of this without uh, the people. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a change, you know, uh, for some of the agencies, you know, changing the logo but in and of itself, even though you might be doing the same job, uh, can be traumatic. And I think uh, things like having uh, town halls and uh, over-communicating with people to make sure that they understand uh, you know, what their role is in the bigger picture, how they're going to be uh, supporting uh, the same mission requirements. Uh, it will be important uh, to make sure that they're able to, um, you know, provide, um, you know, the services that they're, they're very good at providing. Um, so I think that the human capital side of it um, is going to be a challenge just from, uh, you know, just because change is hard and it's going to be different. Frank, I imagine there's just issues with everyone speaking the same language because it may vary across different agencies. I think that happens even within the Air Force across the different bureaus and pieces. Well, it's interesting because every Air Force base is unique into itself. And so this is like the, the fourth estate is the same way, exactly. And so when you talk about consolidation and everything else, it's, it's the same, if, same issues. You have cultural issues. You have, I want this because I'm doing this, you know, and so depending on your mission that you have, it has to be adjusted. And you have to understand when you combine everybody together, you have a bunch of people who have different missions and have different needs. And this is one of the problems. It's not vanilla across the board. It's pretty much, you know, a mix of things. And when you combine them together, you have to realize that and understand that when somebody says, my mission is blah and it's important, you're going to hear that 30 times. <laughs> and they yeah, all are important. Sure. Danielle, is that part of the thinking that has gone into this? I mean, do you take this into account in planning this effort? Oh, absolutely. I think the, the first step is to ensure that you create a collaborative environment, a forum for the dialogue to take place. And so that each of these DAFAs has an ability to be a part of the solution. They're, they see themselves represented in the strategy moving forward. And you have buy-in at different echelons. It also requires to have persistent, dedicated leadership. And this is an enduring effort. Uh, reform needs to be constant. And so therefore you have to make sure that you have leadership in each echelon that is pushing this forward. And as Don said, that you're over-communicating. I don't think there's a problem with over-communication. You have to be able to um, be able to vocalize and also listen and then be able to create that dialogue. Um, Technology is easy. People are hard and that's okay but you need to be able to create the, the safe space for them to be able to communicate and for you to listen so they can see themselves represented in the strategy that you're putting forward. And Pat, having made a lot of change already within what is a very large and diverse agency, 
how do you or do you worry about having to go over ground you've already gone over? And how do you deal with what your people are telling you as you go through all these multiple projects, including your participation in this particular fourth estate effort? So that's one of the reasons I come in towards the end. And so this is a very real thing, right? So when you subsume something, so I, I got an Air Force thing, an Army thing, a Navy thing, and I already had a TRICARE management activity thing. So I own four of everything, right? And so there's four sets of people for everything. Well, in the Army, a lot of their workforce is government. In the Navy, you have the same people doing those jobs, but they're contractors. And in the Air Force, you've got more military. That's all got to be worked out when you migrate four into one along with the contracts because we'll pick a facility that's 80% contractor and 20% government. Well, you can almost outsource all of the commodity IT there because it's 80% contractor. But if it's the other way around and they only have, say, two out of 10 people that are contractors, those contractors are, are not going to go in there and tell those good government people how to do business. They're going to augment and help them. And so all of that stuff, and it's by site, by location, very important. Got to be worked out. And we, we're doing it. We're about 70% through it for the medical stuff. Sure. Well, uh, Jamie, why don't you comment uh, from the stand -up standpoint of the DCAA, because you are dealing with all of those different makeups in the agency's contracts that you do audit and so forth. So how do you handle that kind of thing now? Well, in terms of cultural change for DCAA, I look at it in two, two angles. And um, we do have a mix of both government and contractor IT people performing our services. But I look at it, um, I'm always focused on the, on the end-state customer, which is our auditor workforce. I'm hoping it's relatively seamless for them. Um, they just want capability. They want to be able to do their job. And with the consolidation of tool sets that's likely to occur once uh, we have a single service provider, we may have to make some adjustments in terms of training employees. Uh, they're going to have to be adaptable to potentially using a new capability that replaces what they're comfortable with. But I think that will happen and not be too, too much of a burden. I think where the, my biggest challenge is with my own internal IT organization, we're going to suffer the brunt of the change. We have a large percentage of our government staff will be transitioning to DISA, you know, per design. And those folks have concerns about, you know, what their new organizational structure will look like, what their new responsibilities will be, who's their new supervisor, normal human concerns that people would have. Um, and then the remaining people that I have post-DISA migration, uh, we're going to cover down and focus on our mission systems, which is a good thing. The challenge is many of the folks I have uh, on the Gov side span both mission and commodity IT. And so how do I separate them, retrain them? Uh, it's going to cause some, some challenges all overcomable, but I, I, I think we'll have more difficulties adapting on the IT side than our agency at large. At least that's my hope. Yeah, Doug, it seems like that's one of the challenges also from a vendor standpoint is you do have the mission systems that vary greatly, and yet the commodity IT, in, in theory at least, it doesn't matter if it, if, it's, if it matches all across these different small sub-enterprises because the functions are exactly the same. So how do you approach that one? It is a challenge, and, and you know, we look at this from a mission IT and commodity IT because they come together, right? In the end... We use a lot of that sort of commodity IT to make decisions that are critical to the mission, right? And the data goes across them as we're doing that situational awareness. So you know, it is that balancing act as we go across. You know, I think ultimately some of the key challenges we have, as Daniel said, it's, it's less about the tech and more about the people and the culture and making sure we, we have effective collaboration, you know, that the, the agencies involved have, have a voice in terms of the capabilities they get. And, and the other thing is that customer experience. How do you ensure we're still getting that customer satisfaction to the user community that they feel their needs are being met when you're optimizing and consolidating these capabilities into a central place? That's the big fear we've seen on the commercial side. We've seen other agencies as we do consolidation is, is still making sure that they feel that they're, they're getting their needs met. And people know when, when someone calls that they understand the priority based upon that org and where they're coming from because you don't know their mission necessarily because you're a large organization supporting a massive 
know, pool of people. How do you know how to prioritize those pieces and that this isn't just someone calling to get an access fixed. They're a doctor that needs their access fixed so they can get something done or they are, uh, you know, an auditor at a field audit needs that support. So how do you balance those pieces of the challenges? And that's, you know, where I think we can, we can partner with, with the government and industry to make sure that we're bringing that best of breed solutions to bear for that. Yeah, Danielle, it strikes me that one good crucible for this is the help desk. You mentioned that there were 35 of them across these different enterprises, and you'd like to consolidate that to a single help desk. And that seems like almost where all of the issues would be concentrated, because the help desk has to support this broad range of services, and the help desks themselves may have operated totally differently coming together in this. So maybe expound on that one. Certainly. So the idea is, is that DISA did a contract award. To, it's a global service center contract. And the idea is that DISA is going first. So DISA is consolidating a lot of their service help desks that they have internal to DISA, whether it's supporting DISA itself or DISA as the enterprise service provider um, for, for the DODEN. Uh, we have 13 organizations that would follow suit. And the idea is, is that as part of the civilian transfer piece, instead of having those individual folks who were manning those individual service desks, they would transition to DISA. Um, so that now, instead of focusing on individual piece parts of the network, you're now focusing on servicing the new DOD network for the DAPAs. Um, so it goes uh, hand in hand in terms of having, making sure that you have the contract in place, that you have all the right uh, tools in place and the services to be consolidated, optimized, and then the people piece follow after that. And so that is a very methodical approach. So as uh, the networks are being optimized into the new network, so too will, six days before that happens, the civilians will transfer to, to DISA. Um, so we're, we try to be, um, to create a strategy where it would make sense. And we took a lot of input from the DAFAs before we finalized that and put those implementation plans into work. So Don, you probably won't be giving out your personal number to all the people that might be calling the help desk. But I wanted to ask you about something we mentioned earlier, and that is agencies that may have made some optimization and transfers already. And the need might be to change what they've already changed. I'm thinking in terms of cloud, as DISA has helped teach the world, cloud migrations are a lot more complicated, take a lot more planning than simply switching over the lift and shift type of workload model that everybody thought we would have 10 years ago. And so a lot of agencies have done the heavy work of establishing cloud provisioning, uh, you know, contracts at different levels, the, the uh, infrastructure level, the hosting level, and so on. How do you see the possibility of retaining what they've already done uh, in this new regime that's coming? Well, I think uh, you know part of that it, it goes back to communication with the different uh, agencies and field activities to make sure that whatever they're building is consistent with the technical approach and where we're heading. And uh, you know, Pat can attest to this. Uh, you know, we provide a multitude of forms to make sure that we're hand in glove because the worst thing that could happen is for uh, investment or build out to happen in a direction that we, that we don't intend to go. And so, uh, again, through Danielle, uh, through, um, you know, our uh, current uh, senior staff at DISA, uh, we're making sure that we're having a close partnership with all the CIOs and directors so that we're all have the same site picture and we're all marching. Uh, towards a convergence and not not divergence. Um, it's one of the big lessons learned uh, going forward. Um, I did want to touch on the help desk piece of things because um, ultimately uh, that's the part that I really get excited about. I, I want to um, help enable a better user experience for just the average user for each one of these agencies. And you know, I think if we do all this investment and we optimize, yet we have a less productive user experience at the endpoint with uh, simple things like laptops and phones that they really uh, have, haven't done it right. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that piece of it. You know, uh, we, we really would love it to end up in a place where, um, you know, this is uh, not only exhibiting best practices, but also has created a, a much more productive user, user experience across the entire fourth estate where you're not you know, stuck with a piece of broken equipment that we can quickly turn it around or where you'd be able to go anywhere on the fourth estate and use your equipment because ultimately it is one network. 
Yeah, Doug, uh, I wanted to ask you that question also. Should and is it is it possible and efficacy to to have an endpoint strategy as kind of the final piece of all of this consolidation and optimization? Because if someone wants to put their Game Boy on the network, then you got a problem. <laughs> wow, I think we all just dated ourselves there. But uh, yeah, I completely agree. I I think uh, I think the endpoint strategy is absolutely critical because in the end, that's what, that's where the rubber meets the road from a user experience, from a security perspective. Um, so it's absolutely critical to have that. Now we have to have flexibility there. We can't say everyone's going to use this model laptop period, right? Because there's different needs and, and different modes out there. But I think as Don was bringing up, we have to make sure we have that user experience. Where we're able to get them the tools they need to do their job. But I think some standardization and optimization around that, around personas that we would see out in the normal workforce in terms of the, the types of, of, of demands they need, whether it's a, a desktop, whether it's a laptop, whether it's classified versus unclass, and, and things like the amount of CPU need if you're doing like engineering modeling and sim type stuff, like over at DARPA they may be doing. Uh, you know, those are gonna be a little bit different configurations, but I think going to a standardization, the imaging, the collaboration tools, and the security are gonna be really powerful to give that user experience Don was talking about, to give you portability across the network so you can go into other places and to give you an improved buying power from our ability at, at the overall uh, fourth estate level, I think will be really powerful and allow us to also have better resiliency because we'll have some standardization so we can be able to get you return to service much faster because it's able to better able to stock sort of backups and be able to jump in and give you a new resource if you need it from a loaner perspective. All right. I think we're going to have to end on that note. We are out of time, but I'm glad we were able to cover everything from the cloud to the endpoint today and everything in between. I want to thank today's guests. Pat Flanders is the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. Frank Konechny is the Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force. Jamie Markle is the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Contract Audit Agency. Don Means is the Defense Enclave Services Executive at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Danielle Metz is Principal Director for the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department, and Doug Jones, Chief Technology Officer at the Defense Group at Lighthouse. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com. Use the search term Lighthouse. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Digital Modernization in DOD's Fourth Estate, sponsored by Lighthouse on Federal News Network.